Welcome back to the Traders Point Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. Each week, we open up the Bible for just a few minutes and discuss God's Word together. We discuss its meaning and the ways in which we can apply it in our walk as followers of Christ. If you'd like more information about the Traders Point Church of Christ, you can visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please take just a second to do that so you can stay up to date on all of the content that's put out on this channel. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy today's conversation. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us today. We're in the midst of our study through 1 Timothy. We've covered the first two chapters already, and so we're going to begin chapter 3 today. So if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, it might be helpful just from a perspective of context to go back and listen to those. We're going to pick up in chapter three, and we'll read this chapter together here in just a second. Uh, But Jeremy, before we do that, if we do have some people who haven't listened to the previous two episodes or just need a little bit of a refresher, uh, why don't you catch us up to speed a little bit? Give us a little bit of background to this book and where we are as we get into chapter three. Yeah, I mean, the book itself, as you have uh, written by Paul, it it is a personal letter, certainly very different in some of his other epistles that he would write to full churches or even groups of churches like the book of Galatians. Here, this is a a personal letter written to uh, a young man by the name of Timothy, uh, who Paul certainly knows and is comfortable with and really has great confidence in. In the very first chapter, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had talked about you know, the, the the feeling that he would have had on Timothy and the responsibility that he lays on him. And that, that means he had an incredible amount of confidence, an incredible amount of trust uh, to leave Timothy as he does here in Ephesus. And so Paul is gone, Timothy is there, and he's writing back about uh, some various things that Timothy needs to be thinking about, things that Timothy needs to be teaching about there. And, uh, and, and kind of as we moved into chapter 2, uh, as we talked about last week, as it kind of moves into you know the way things are, are going to work within the church of God mm-hmm. w- during during worship even specifically and how the church is uh, to be organized and kind of put together, uh, we talked at length about the reality that uh, God is a God of order. Uh, he wants order. He wants organization. He's always called upon it. And really, as we move into chapter three, that continues to kind of come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. The, this idea that God isn't a God of chaos, he is a God of order, and he is a God of structure. And so as Paul continues to write to Timothy, and he writes you know, some specific things about men and women, as he did in chapter two, and what he'll do here in chapter three to write about pretty specific things is pertaining to elders and and deacons. And again, all of that structured around the idea that this is the way that God is looking for his church to be organized, uh, to be ran, and uh, the specific uh, men that he's looking to, to be in leadership roles, uh, if you will. Yeah, I appreciate you using those words, order and structure. I think that as a backdrop is going to really help us and deepen our understanding of, of what God is looking for here in chapter 3. So let's let's read this together, and then we'll dive into it. Starting in verse number 1 of 1 Timothy 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, 
having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. So you mentioned at the outset how this chapter ties in very well with where we left off in chapter 2. As Paul gives Timothy instruction about how the church is to be ordered and how it's to be structured. And now we get into chapter 3, and he's diving deeper into that topic as he talks about the leadership within a local congregation. And that's really what he's doing here is he lays out these qualifications, if you will, for elders and for deacons. He, he is giving Timothy the types of men that are to be put in leadership positions within the Lord's church so that... The church can be everything that God intends for it to be, so it can flourish and thrive the way God intends for it to. And in the absence of leadership, we know this from anything, any walk of life, in the absence of leadership, there's the potential for chaos and disorder, and that goes against everything that God is and certainly everything that he wants for his church. And so that's why this is so important, and Paul takes time here with Timothy, and he'll do it also with Titus to talk about the importance of how the Lord's church is going to be led. God sees that as a crucial part of his church being all that he wants it to be. Yeah, I mean, we see you know elders being talked about. We see it in the book of Acts of them specifically being referenced. And really throughout the epistles, we see uh, Paul continuing to talk about the importance of elders, how the elders are to conduct themselves, how um, us as members of a local congregation are to conduct ourselves towards uh, the eldership. And so you have teaching all around this topic, and a lot of it centers to what we have right here in First Timothy chapter 3. As you made mention, he writes a very similar kind of thing to Titus and his, his short letter to Titus as well. But you know we we have this idea that th- this is the this is the framework that God wants His church to operate under. He he wants His church to operate with de- with elders. He wants the church to operate with deacons. He wants the church to operate with saints. We we see that you know in other places. Philippians chapter one you know comes to mind as he's writing to the church there, and he he outlines it in that way to the to the pastors, to the deacons, to the saints, right? He, he even outlines it that way. And so this, this is an organization. That's the way he wants it to be organized. And, and so once you have that in your mind, 
you start to take a, a closer look at this list, and, and now you're you're starting to get an idea of the type of man mm-hmm. that that God wants in this position. It, it is an important position. It's one with incredible responsibility. There's a burden involved with it as well, and, and because of all of that, the uh, there's a, a certain uh, qualification list, if you will, that it is to be met. And I think Paul is is building the idea of the type of man that mm-hmm. God is looking for to be a leader in his church. Yeah, the, the type of man is, is really important. And, you know, you, you and I talk about this sometimes. Sometimes, you know, this chapter in particular can become very checklisty in the way that we read it and talk about it. Understandably so, it is a list of qualifications. It, right. it is something that you know a man who is going to serve as an, as an elder or as a deacon deacon must meet these qualifications. That that is something that is very clear. They must meet these qualifications, and so inevitably there is going to be an aspect of that to the way that we read this and the way that we apply it. But I think also we need to be able to take a step back and look at this as a type of person that God is looking for to lead his people and look at it more cohesively as opposed to, okay, this one is met, this one is met, this one is met. There's a place for that. But sometimes we need to be able to be able to remove ourselves from that checklist mentality like we do with a lot of other aspects of the Bible and look at it more from a perspective of of what kind of man is this? When When I look at someone what kind of man is going to be able to lead the Lord's church? What kind of man is going to help me grow spiritually? What, what kind of man is going to, to help the Lord's church be a beacon of light in our community? We're looking for, for a person in this. And so it's helpful to do both of those, to look at it as the list and the way that it's written, but then also be able to take that step back and to look at it from the perspective of a more holistic approach and really see the man in these qualifications that God intends to hold this position. Yeah, I mean, and you made mention about it already. We do this all over the New Testament in thinking about that, and rightly so. I mean, God and his teaching in the pages of the New Testament, I mean, there are commands, there are doctrines, there are teachings that are to be followed, but we make the point all the time that God, he goes to great lengths to point out the reality that all of that is going to be motivated from the inside out, right? Mm-hmm. That we are fulfilling those commands because of what's happening on the inside. He, he absolutely goes against the ones that are just going about it from the outside, mm-hmm. right? He'll, right. It is the hypocrite in a lot of ways. It is the the Pharisee who was checking all the boxes. It was the Pharisee who wasn't concerned with the inside, but only concerned with the outside. It was the Jewish Christian who would pressure the Gentile Christian to keep the law of Moses or to become circumcised because that is something physically that you know needs to happen and so there's all kinds of teaching about that and so we'll make reference to you know and rightly so uh, with passages that talk about that and we'll we'll make the point that you know God Jesus himself talks about it if if you love me keep my commandments that right. are motivation to follow the commands of God and there are commands there are do this and don't do this kinds of things but we're following those because of our love, how we are on the inside and the relationship that we have to God. We understand that. But yet when we come to a passage like this, that does read bullet pointing. It, mm-hmm. it does read 
checkboxy. It reads that way, right? It, it, a man must be this. He must be this. He needs not to be this. He needs not to be this. And you can you can lay them all out. And, you know, so to be able to uh, attack a passage like that, but yet at the same time understand that these are qualifications to be filled but there has to be a deeper understanding about what this passage, and most importantly, the, the type of man and what his role is going mm-hmm. to be, is really all about. And, and I think Paul does that. He does that with a parenthetical, really, in verse 5, a verse that we sometimes leave out in our discussion, but in a lot of ways, it may be the most important verse in this whole text. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And just, just to build off of what you were saying there, I think one of the reasons that it's it should be obvious to us that this isn't meant to just be a checklist is because some of these are left open for interpretation, mm-hmm. right? Let's just take one, for instance, not a novice. Okay, well, where is the line? How long should they have been a Christian? How old do they have to be? Well, it doesn't say specifically because there's some discernment that has to be applied to these things. There's some wisdom that has to be used in making a determination as to whether someone is not a novice. It's not just a simple checkbox, yep, he got that one. There's discernment and wisdom that must be applied to these things. And you could go down the list. The same when it comes to hospitable. Okay, well, how many times has he had people over to his house this month? Well, if if God wanted us to treat this like a checkbox, then he would have put, he needs to have somebody in his home three times a week or whatever. That would be a checkbox that would be a bullet point list that we're to go through and to check off the boxes. That's not the way God does this. He leaves some of these things open for interpretation because he recognizes the need for discernment to be applied to these things. Now, a man must meet every single one of these to serve as an elder, but within these, there, there's wisdom that has to be applied to, to decide whether or not a man is suited for this position. And so that tells us that God intends for us to look at this from the perspective of, okay, what does this man look like, Mm -hmm. and and does he meet the needs of a local body, and does he meet the standard that God wants for leadership within his church? That's the way we should really read a passage like this. And then you brought up verse number five, which, you know, we talked about this earlier this week, and I think you made some really good points around the importance of verse number five. You know, if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And that really brings to light his role as a husband and a father and, and the experience that he has there. And we're able to look at his family and to look at his household and see how he has done as a leader of his own home and then make a determination of whether or not he's going to then be able to apply some of those same practices to take care of the Lord's church. And that that is very helpful to be able to look at a man's family and make some determinations about how he will take care of the Lord's church. Because ultimately, that's what we're looking for here. You know, this list isn't about the the greatest father that there's ever been or the greatest husband that there's ever been. There are other passages that we can turn to that talked about the importance of being a great husband. Mm-hmm. There are other passages that we can turn to that talks about being a great father and the importance and how to do that. There are passages that show us that, mm-hmm. but that's not what this is. This is a passage that talks about a man who is going to care for the church of God. That is That's the key to this passage. And, uh, and and verse 5 helps us to see that, that you're, you're looking at a man who's ruling his house, and you're able to make determinations then, based upon that, how he will translate all of what he has learned and what he has done and what he has shown into caring for God's house. 
And and so really all of these things are, are that way, right? Uh, you know, you have, you know, a man who is uh, is careful and you have a man who is sober-minded, not drunk. You have a man who is uh, open to his home because he wants to have a great relationship with the members of the, you know, the Lord's church there so that he can better take care of them. I mean, all of these things, you know, go back, you know, to, you know, this idea that he is, you know, he's a man with wisdom. You know, that's the novice. He is a man of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a man of abilities, even, in his ability to teach and those kinds of things. And so he, he's painting the picture of the one who is to lead and to take care of the Lord's church. And now when you kind of go into it that way, I think a lot of these things start to make sense. Yeah, and, and we've spent most of our time talking about the the list of qualifications given for an elder here, but obviously the ones given to a deacon are very similar in nature. There's an interesting phrase there that's, that's listed in, in verse number 9, in regards to a deacon, I think is really important because oftentimes the role of a deacon, and rightfully so, is very much pointed in the direction of taking care of the physical needs of a congregation. That's kind of the example of what deacons do that we see in the New Testament. Their attention is given to more of the physical needs of a congregation so that the elder's attention can largely be spent on the spiritual needs of a congregation. But verse number 9 makes the point that if you're going to serve as a deacon— there should be a level of comprehension and understanding as it pertains to the mystery of the faith mm-hmm. as it's described here. And you get down to the end of this chapter, and that's really told to us exactly what he's talking about. And it, it is important if a man is going to serve as a deacon, not just that you know he can replace the light bulbs when they need to be replaced. He needs to have a strong, deep faith of his own and a level of understanding when it comes to godliness, and to be able to possess all of those things within himself so that he can then serve the Lord's church. And so I think that's an important thing not to overlook when we think about deacons. Uh, Certainly the qualifications are slightly different, and there's important distinctions to be made in regards to their roles. Uh, But a deacon should be a man who is strong in the faith, and one who holds the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. He needs to be established in his understanding of the truth, his understanding of the Bible, so that he can help the Lord's church to his fullest abilities. Yeah, and the, you know, the one you know, other distinction that really is in this list, and you're right, I mean, the, the lists are so incredibly close. I mean, there are very few... Uh, differences, you know, in these lists, and, and rightly so. I mean, he, uh, these are things that all Christians should aspire mm-hmm. to be in a lot of ways. Yeah. But the one other, you know, distinction that we've made mention of that you find at the beginning of this chapter that you don't find in talking about the deacons, we brought it up already, is that very beginning of verse 6, that not a novice, Mm -hmm. where now it's setting the elder apart from the deacon Mm -hmm. by way of experience and by way of wisdom, by way of age even in a lot of ways. And um, and I think that's a distinction that certainly is there, and it certainly is there on purpose. It's in the Word itself when yeah. you begin to think about it, the idea of elder, mm-hmm. and even by definition of that Word, that the way that we still use it even today. But the, the similarities are remarkable, you know, to really think. And these are faithful, trustworthy, both from within the church and 
to those who are outside the Lord's church, mm-hmm. a trustworthy of good reputation, family men that God is looking to be leaders in his church. Yeah, we'll go ahead and stop there for the day. I mean, this conversation could continue on for quite a bit longer, no doubt, but hopefully this is just giving you some things to think about. Uh, this is a passage of scripture that probably every Christian in their local congregation has talked about and probably will continue to discuss and study. It's a very important passage of Scripture as we talk about the leadership within the Lord's Church, and Paul clearly takes time out of his writing to Timothy to make sure that he understands that, and so we have a responsibility too as well. So hopefully this has been helpful. We appreciate you joining us uh, this week, and we'll talk to you again next week.